Hi and welcome to our very first podcast. My name is Liam Galvin and the podcast is Liam Galvin Film. But it isn't just me, it is my wonderful partner, my wonderful other half, Yvette Rowland, who will be here with me. Hello, yes, I'm Yvette and I am very excited today that this is our first podcast. Uh, we have been filming major criminals for, oh gosh, 20 years. I hate to say it because I'm still only 30, but we really have. And uh, we just decided that it's time to do some podcasts and let everybody listen. Absolutely. We have a lovely YouTube channel, which is very popular, which we put all our true crime stuff out on. And uh, how do we get into this? I mean, people, this is our first podcast. And so you probably want to know a little bit about us before we get into our guest today, which is Mad Frankie Fraser. Well, we are both actors. And um, as the acting profession got a little quiet, we thought, right, we'll make our own programmes. That's what we're going to do. And in actual fact, because Liam, uh, his background is children's TV, it made perfect sense to make a children's programme. Yeah. Yeah, so we made a children's program actually with uh, an actor called Jess Conrad, uh, and it was it, you know it was very good, and, and we we sent it off to various TV companies, and it was almost taken on. We had meeting after meeting, and just when it got close to the um, company putting their hand in the pocket. As with a lot of people will understand, uh, they just suddenly decided that, well, actually, it's cheaper to buy in programmes from Australia, kiddies programmes. So we just said, right, well, we're going to have to make something very different. Yes, and actually, I think it was Skippy that they uh, they went for. All right, no so, need to labour that. So Skippy to Mad Frank, how do we oh. do that? So we thought we'd better uh, make something a bit more dramatic. And quite by chance, my uh, my brother, who I suppose you can describe as a sort of yeah. Showbiz, showbiz entrepreneur, keep it clean. <laughs> yeah, there's a whole story about my brother we don't need to go into. That's but his own podcast. Yeah, that is. Um, yeah, so he was putting on a one man show with uh, Mad Frankie Fraser, and it had been on at the uh, the music hall in Bethnal Green, and it also had been on uh, at the Mayfair, uh, the theatre in Mayfair, a very small theatre, uh, over a month. So he was he was looking after that, and he gave us Mad Frank's number. So Liam called him up and said, do you fancy making a documentary about your life? And he said, well, son, let's have a meeting. So we waited uh, in the Walworth Road near where he had a flat. He had a flat near a carpet shop there. We stood there. We said we were going to meet him at 11 o'clock. Uh, two minutes past 11, I said, well, it's obviously not going to show. Shall we leave? Because he was 120 seconds late. And as we said that, who should walk around the corner but Mad Frank? Yeah, and it, for people who don't know about Mad Frank, obviously he had this fearsome reputation. He had this fearsome reputation as an enforcer and, and had worked for the uh, the Richardsons. He'd, uh, he'd claimed to have killed 40 people. He'd had 42 years uh, in prison and, uh, you know, had, had been involved in some horrific incidents like the, the chopping up of uh, Eric Mason with an axe. Well, Eric, who you will hear later on in, in another podcast, um, he was actually the victim of Frank. He had, Frank had set about him with a, an axe, and as Eric had put his hands up to his head to protect himself, the axe had gone through his fingers and literally pinned his fingers to his head. Yeah, so Frank took us down to the actual place where the the incident happened in the uh, somewhere in the in the East End. So the first part of this podcast that you're going to hear, um, we actually filmed it at the Clink, didn't we? Yeah. Now the Clink is a great museum for um, all sorts of criminal activity on the embankment. Fabulous place. So we filmed there, and then Frank took us around some of the different haunts that meant something to him, and it was a really really interesting day. But can I ask Liam, how did you find Frank? Well, I think. 
think we both had to do our homework on him, didn't we? Yeah, yeah, you absolutely did. Yeah. Yeah, because if you he'd start a story, and if uh, if you didn't know the end of the story, then uh, you know you were in trouble. So you did a lot of research on him, didn't you? Yeah, I read his books, I watched his interviews. I just had a feeling. I don't know why. I just instinctively knew. So when I had to literally spend time with him, as other people were being interviewed on the day, he would literally start the story, and I would have to finish it. And it was like a school test. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So he had a fearsome reputation. I mean, I, I didn't find him um, a very warm personality. I've got to be honest. And uh, actually, in a, a later date, he did uh, he did want to burn our house down, didn't he? Yeah, he did want to burn our house down. But I have to say, that's just one story of many of the different characters we came upon. I yeah. mean, you're here as, as you go through the podcast. It's not always been plain sailing. But then I guess your question to us would be, well, what did you expect? Yeah, exactly. So the first part of this podcast, we're going to listen to uh, Frank talking about his time in prison. He was in prison for uh, 42 years, uh, obviously not at uh, the same time, but on separate occasions. And he's going to talk about the punishments that he received in there, including the, uh, the cat and the birch, and also some of the activities like the pounding. So uh, let's hear Frank himself. Here we go. Mad Frank Fraser. At Portland Borstal, you had to do pounding. And what did that involve? When he was down the punishment cells... Part of your punishment was pounding. It was the most evil, torturous punishment you could ever think of. You stood up and in front of you, you had a, a thing on the top with a long iron pole down into an iron thing at the bottom where there was Portland stone. You had to do all day long. And he was in all cubicles. And a prison officer, or bolster officer, he stood a few paces in his sentry box. So if it rained, he was okay. And he was there watching you all the time, two of them most probably. All the time, boom, boom. And at the end of the day, you packed up for lunch. When I say lunch, all that meant is you just went in, had another lump of bread and, because she was on bread and water. And at the end of the day, they would come with a scoop and get all the dust out and put it through a sieve. And if you hadn't powdered it like powder and it never went through, then you had to fill the box up to a certain level that had a mark around it. If you hadn't done that, so you were kept down there much longer until you started doing it better. It was the most evil form of punishment you could ever wish to imagine. It, it sounds simple, but honestly, I can't emphasise how much, how tough it was. You had the birch, I believe it was in, in Maidstone, and, and what was that like? What did that involve, the birch? Well, the birch was you went over a barrel and your wrists ran cuffed to your ankles with your bare bums sticking up and they really made a thing of it. You then could get the birch and the cat for robbery with violence. But if you got it for that, they wasn't too vindictive in giving it to you as it didn't concern them. Don't get me wrong, they still done it. But for gross personal violence to a prison officer, 
they really give it all they could. The strongest prison officer in the, or in, in the prison. I had it twice at Ballstall. Once when I attacked an officer at Rochester Ballstall, I had it at Maidstone Prison, and the other time at Portland Ballstall when I attacked a prison officer and got that at Dorchester Prison. I always had 18 strokes. I hated odd numbers. Uh, in, in Shrewsbury Prison, uh, you got the cat. So what was the, tell us about the cat. I attacked the governor of Shrewsbury Prison in 1945. And I couldn't have the cat at Shrewsbury because the workshop there, the ceiling in the workshop wasn't high enough to put the machine up that you have it on. And I was transferred to Liverpool Prison and had it in the laundry there. They made, when you got corporal punishment, they made a big thing of it to wear you down. You always got it after breakfast or after dinner when all the prison was locked up. And about eight o'clock in the morning, your dear, all their every odd now boots on the stone flanks. Unlock Fraser! Be a false alarm. Because they knew you you knew you'd get it after breakfast or after dinner. And you could wait up to 14 days from the time the visiting magistrate sentenced you until you got it. You could wait up to 14 days. And they played mind games with you. Fortunately for me, I know all about this anyway. Then all of a sudden, on about 12th, 13th day, the door be unright, and you'd be marched along, pushed along, nearly always in the laundry of the prison you would have. And they really went to town. I was lucky there, by the way, when I first had the cat in September 1945, not long before I had it, and it wrapped right round, and when he pulled it off, he pulled a man's nipples off with it. But lucky for me, by then you had leather here. But not long before me. So I've still got me tips. <laughs> so that was Frank talking about uh, the birch and uh, the cat, some of the horrific punishments that went on in the prison. It seemed incredibly brutal in the prison in those days. It was, a, it was a very different time, wasn't it? I mean, but Frank, you know, he would dish it out. He wasn't frightened even in prison uh, of the prison governors. And he talks about one particular punishment that he used to dish out. Um, I'm not going to spoil it, but uh, what I would suggest is that you don't eat before you hear it. Uh, and it then... wasn't pleasant, was it? No. no. Uh, and one of the rivals that he had, one of the prison governors that he really disliked was uh, Governor Lawton. And of course, there's this famous story uh, that he's going to uh, recite here where he uh, he tried to hang uh, Governor Lawton uh, when Governor Lawton was out for a walk with his dog, which we did try and reenact with our very small budget. Yes, with our very small budget and our very small dog. Uh, but no animals were hurt in this, unlike, uh, unfortunately, the poor dog in this story that you're going to hear about. <laughs> Absolutely. So here's Frank talking about prison governors and how he used to get revenge on them. Now, I believe that you attacked something like eight prison governors uh, and you did the governor's Shrewsbury, I think, that you just said there. Um, did you also do the, the Leicester governor twice, was it? I attacked two governors at Leicester. Right. One called Clay, he called him Cassius, before Mohammed changed his name. And the other, Steinhausen. By now I was an expert at prison governors. I knew some 
didn't mind a good punch. So they could walk around the prison with half a dozen stitches under their eye. Didn't frighten me. So they'd come in the bucket brigade. I'd do them with buckets full of shit and piss and ram it over their heads and all you'd see is little turds. Cassius come in that brigade. Steinhausen, he dreaded a punch. And I've oh, done him lovely, yeah. But I did say to all the fellow prisoners, the train robbers who were there, told them what I was going to do. They were smashing fellas. They said, we'll make one, Frank. I said, no, but that's my coup and don't get involved. But they were terrific. They were good. Now, um, I think you did the Governor of Exeter in revenge for um, something with Jack the Hat and McVitie. What was that about? Well, Jack the Hat at Exeter in 1959, September, was a really lovely guy. And he had a fair fight on the exercise yard with this prison officer. No one else interfered. We made a ring round them. And the other prison officers were ringing the alarm bells. And in no time, about 30 prison officers come out with the chief. By that time, Jack had knocked the prison officer down, a fair fight, said, have you had enough? He said, yes. That was the end of it. Out come the chief officer with a first, what's going on? So I told him what I'd just said. And he looked at the prison officer, he said, <clears throat> was it a fair fight? He never answered. In prison terms, that actually meant it was. Because it hadn't have been, he'd have soon said it. I said, what do you want to happen, Jack? He said, well, make sure they don't bash me up when I go in, Frank. I've had a fair fight. I said to the chief, you heard what he said? Fair fight, he said, I'll give you my word, Fraser. We won't lay a glove on him. That'll be the end of it. So what do you think, Jack? He said, that's good enough, Frank. I'll go in. And as he's going in, Tony Adams, Arsenal's captain, his wife, this divorced from her now, well, Jimmy Andrews, that's his wife's father, shouted out, he was doing seven years like me, shouted to the chief, and if you lay a pink glove on him, you bastard, we'll knock you and the governor out tomorrow. You couldn't talk like that to him then. Chief said, no, no, Andrews, nothing like that will happen. But of course, as soon as they got Jack in, they bashed him up. If Jim hadn't have said that, they may not have done. So we did knock the governor and chief out the next day. Uh, got sentenced to another 18 strokes and 400 days lost of remission and bread and water. Good fun, though. Now, obviously, there's the famous story about um, Governor Lawton. If you could tell us about your relationship with him and what happened with him. Well, in 1947, prisoners were doing foolish things. I was one of them. But you didn't think it was foolish. Before you'd attacked an officer or something, you'd cut your wrists. They'd 80 stitches in each arm. I meant to get a little bit of blade, cut it. And when the governor come round, as he had to, every day, more or less a formality, most governors just walked by, all right, straight on. But he come right in the cell. I jumped on him, bashed him up, smothered him in blood. And when they stitched me up with 80 stitches, they put me in a straitjacket. The straitjackets then come in three sizes, small, medium and large. They should have put me in small, but he put me in large. And at the back, put all wet blankets and pillars down there. The hospital at Pentonville had been bombed in the war. It still hadn't been repaired. So they were using B2 landing as a makeshift hospital. 
no padded cell, but they move all the furniture out of the cell, called furniture, the odd thing, and put brand new mattresses on the floor. For the first two days, the mattresses were quite good. You actually sunk in them. After that, it was like lying on concrete. And like an idiot, I was young, 24, 25. Somehow I'd get up and walk up and down the cell. And by doing it, I realised I'd snapped a couple of stitches so I could feel the blood. And then I couldn't lie on my back, because I'm like Humpty Dumpty with all this wet blankets. So I'd roll over onto my stomach. And I realised I'm going to suffocate, because my mouth is going right into the mattresses where I'm sinking into them. And as the night wore on, I'm having a tremendous struggle to roll over on my back. I'm on bread and water and all, and the governor, they had it like a hospital cell door where they cut out a thing and he could open the thing and look through bars and heard him say about seven in the evening, he's still alive, won't be long now, he'll soon be dead. I knew if I could last out till seven in the morning, I'd be okay, because fresh prison officers come on and have to take me out of the straitjacket and give me a drop of water and all night he kept coming. Still alive, I survived till the next morning. I had more stitches in. And in November 1951, I was now free. He was now governor of Wandsworth. He had been promoted. That was the top prison in the country then, 1951, November. I kidnapped him and his dog and hung up on Wandsworth prison. Now, I love dogs, who don't? Everyone does. But I thought, Frank, you'll have to get rid of him, because it might be your luck he'd be the first dog that could talk and say, Mad Frankie done it. So the dog went, but one, I wasn't strong enough or tall enough to reach a higher branch, and Lawton's toes managed to touch the ground. He survived. Twelve months later, I'm back in Wandsworth, because while I'm hanging him, I'm going, my turn now. Twelve months later, I'm back in Wandsworth. He couldn't get down the cells quick enough to go, my turn now. That's when I got the cat over him. You, you were certified insane, well, what happened? Well, I had been certified insane in the army during the war. And this guy said to me, Charlie Waters, he said, Frank, you get, keep getting in trouble, so why don't you act a bit mad and get to Broadmoor? It's terrific. I said, leave, well, Charlie, I couldn't do it, because then you had to be raving mad in prison. He said, your certainty, Frank, the screws are frightened of you. I said, leave off, Charlie, I'm about as fat as a matchstick. You know, he's some teenager. He put the idea in my head. And I thought, well, I'll go for it. And I made out the prison officers were slinging rats in my cell. But now they're my, my friends. And I tapped a couple of officers and I'm in the strong cell. On H1 landing, there's two ferocious cells. You have to walk through about three to get to them. And when the visiting magistrates come to certify me, because then you had to be certified, be the magistrates and a doctor. Not now, just two doctors. And they come and the prison officer said, Fraser, visiting magistrates, will you tell them about your friends, the rats? I come bounding up to them. I said, well, some of them are friends of mine and some of them are enemies. Are you one? And leapt up. They went, oh, we've seen enough. They couldn't sign the form quick enough. I'm back to Broadmoor. It was great fun.
Quite about the guy I brought what? What was that? He stood all day long like this. Oh, yes! All day long like this he stood. So I made inquiries about him. They said, Frank, he's been here 22 years. He thinks he's an electric light bulb. Bored to tears, it was in block six. They had different names now, that was like the punishment block. And I crept behind him, I said, I pulled your plug out. He went, swish me back on, swish me. The broader officer shouted out, Fraser, Fraser, put his plug back. So I said, I'll put your plug back. He went, oh, so you could have some good laughs. So that was Frank talking about his horrific experiences in prison and outside with uh, Governor Lawton and all the other prison governors. We hope you enjoyed it. We're going to be back with part two of Frank Fraser. Uh, in this series, we're not only just going to be talking uh, with Frank Fraser or hearing from Frank Fraser. We've got so many villains that we're going to bring to your attention. Um, but uh, yeah, part two coming up. We're going to have a look at what Frank got up to outside of prison and you really don't want to miss this. And um, if you have enjoyed, and we hope you've enjoyed this podcast, please uh, subscribe to it and and check out our youtube channel on liam galvin yeah it's got all videos of all the gangsters from back in the day and also unlicensed boxing and everything so something that you really enjoy so thanks very much for uh, listening to this uh, please subscribe to it and uh, tell your friends and uh, we're going to be back next week with some uh, really horrific stories from mad frank fraser <laughs>